Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Time to end America's longest war. When President Biden took office in January, he inherited an agreement that his predecessor had reached with the Taliban to remove all remaining U.S. forces from Afghanistan by May 1st of this year. As part of that agreement, the previous administration pressed the Afghan government to release 5,000 Taliban prisoners including some top war commanders. Meanwhile, it reduced our own force presence to 2,500 troops. In return, the Taliban agreed to stop attacking U.S. and partner forces and to refrain from threatening Afghanistan's major cities. But the Taliban continued its relentless march on remote outposts, checkpoints, villages, and districts, as well as some of the major roads connecting the cities. Anthony Blinken shows up. Yesterday, he was speaking in front of Congress. Didn't show up. He's there on a Zoom call. Weirdest thing in the world. Today, he's showing up. Showing up and blaming Trump. That's a bold strategy, Cotton. Trump is the reason we had this problem. Trump is the reason for the bad withdrawal. Trump is the one who did everything wrong. This is desperation from a desperate, desperate man. But that wasn't all he had to say. By January of 2021, the Taliban was in its strongest military position since 9-11, and we had the smallest number of U.S. forces in Afghanistan since 2001. As a result, upon taking office, President Biden immediately faced the choice between ending the war or escalating it. Had he not followed through on his predecessor's commitment, attacks on our forces and those of our allies would have resumed and the Taliban's nationwide assault on Afghanistan's major cities would have commenced. That's his argument. And that, kids, is one of the many, many reasons you want to have Antony Blinken testifying in front of you. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, Parlor, Instagram, Twitter, Tony Katz, everything at TonyKatz.com. That's T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. Let me tell you what I mean. Anthony Blinken gave a series of responses yesterday and now into today that everybody in America knows aren't legit. Rather, they are the responses of somebody who is pushing the ideological narrative as opposed to a factual one. There are questions that were asked yesterday that I got to admit I was not prepared for. There was this question right here from Representative McCall of Texas. Bagram went down. The embassy went down and we went dark. We have no eyes and ears on the ground. We've lost intelligence uh, capability in the region. That includes Russia, China, and Iran, as you know. This is a national security threat as China moves in. For all I know, they may take over Bagram Air Base. But this over the horizon capability, I believe, is exaggerated. It's not a viable option it's too far away did you negotiate with countries like uzbekistan or, or Tajikistan to put an isr capability there and my last question is it true that president putin threatened the president of the united states saying he could not build intelligence capabilities in the region i had never heard that before i have absolutely no idea why in the world 
uh, that question is being asked. I never heard that that was a, a, a possibility. Really and truly don't know. But there it is. An interesting question. And not one that I had heard about, about threats. But you could clearly see Russia not being happy with the United States wanting to build any kind of intelligence apparatus in the region. They don't want the U.S. in their backyard kind of snooping on them. But never mind the question at this moment. Check out the non-answer from Secretary Blinken. Um, this is an this is an important question and one that, in its detail and substance, I think we need to take up uh, in another setting for reasons I know that you you very much appreciate. Let me just say this uh, very broadly, and you, you you know this very well, given your your focus and expertise on these issues. The terrorist threat has metastasized dramatically uh, over the last twenty years, and it's most acute in places like Yemen, uh, like Libya, uh, like Iraq, like Syria, uh, like Somalia, and of course uh, we have much greater and different capabilities than we had 20 years ago in terms of dealing with that threat. Uh, and in many countries around the world, we deal with it effectively with no uh, U.S. boots on the ground. Uh, we lost some capacity for sure uh, in not having those boots on the ground in Afghanistan, but we have ways and we are very actively working on that uh, to uh, to make up for that, to mitigate for that, to make sure that we have no. eyes on the problem, to see if it reemerges in Afghanistan, yeah. uh, and to do something about it. Why do you have these hearings? Well, that answer is a great reason why. To have on the record the Secretary of State lying so blatantly? Oh, we may not have any boots on the ground there. We may not have any intelligence there, but we can find out what's going on. We have ways of getting it. No, you don't. You had an intelligence apparatus, and you let it go. And you let it go with Americans still being left behind. You ended it. Not Donald Trump. You. The Biden team, the Biden administration, the so-called adults in the room. The reason you have the hearings is not because there's going to be some grandstanding. Producer Ari hates these hearings. Hates these hearings because he hates the grandstanding. And you're a lot like him. You just want questions and answers. You want to understand what's going on. You don't need anybody creating some kind of television commercial from the sound bites. But that's exactly what's going to come. And what's going to come is Anthony Blinken making the suggestion that somehow we still know what's going on in Afghanistan when we clearly don't. It is a lie. He's lying. We have no idea what is going on. This whole idea that we took out an ISIS-K member with a drone strike doesn't seem to be an ISIS-K member we took out, but we may have killed an American contractor. We may have killed some kids in this drone strike that was sent forth by Joe Biden to prove that he's really still in control in the area. You're going to have Anthony Blinken blaming Trump? That would have required sending substantially more U.S. forces into Afghanistan to defend ourselves and to prevent a Taliban takeover. Taking casualties and with it best, the prospect of restoring a stalemate and remaining stuck in Afghanistan under fire indefinitely. You understand that the conversation he's having here is the supposed conversation of, well, we're stuck into this deal because of Donald Trump, and we can either go with the deal or we can start a war. You got one! 
the purpose of these hearings Anthony Blinken is giving you the fantasy story of what could have happened if Joe Biden hadn't had acted decisively but we saw how Joe Biden acted and it still happened you said Joe Biden did X, Y, and Z, so it wouldn't happen. But 13 U.S. service members, including Corporal Humberto Sanchez, I'm not trying to use his name in vain, please forgive me, of Logansport, Indiana, being laid to rest as I speak, flown home to Indiana where thousands of people lined the streets thousands of motorcycles followed the procession to pay their respects honestly who's just doing it right you should be proud of yourselves what a sight one of 13 and you know there's probably more so what Joe Biden planned well if we didn't do this we would have had a war you had one anyway And none of it explains why you left the way that you did. Why would you leave in this haphazard manner? Why would you not evacuate the American personnel and then the SIVs, the special immigrant visas, first? You can blame Trump from now until the cows come home. But none of it matters. All it proves is that you're some weird fetishist, dude. All it proves is that you can't get over Trump. That guy rules every part of your being. Yes, 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 yes. Never mind he lives in your head rent-free. He owns you. You think that's the answer? You think Trump is responsible for 13 dead U.S. service members? No one believes it. Why have the hearings? Because moments like this come from hearings. I would have liked Congress to be in session. And I would have liked to have heard from everybody actually wanting to know how we did this so poorly. How we failed at this withdrawal. I don't necessarily feel that way about being in Afghanistan, although it's very clear we did a lot of things not right. But people who served there will tell you we did a lot of things very right. I'm just saying. Uh, There's a lot to that conversation. But nothing happened correctly from this withdrawal. Absolutely, positively nothing. And if we had a decent body politic, we would actually get answers. But we don't have a decent body politic. So Republicans have to do this. And what is the one opportunity you get? You get to have the Secretary of State or maybe the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, or maybe the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, on the record proving themselves liars and fools, hateful bigots. That's the best we can do? Producer Ari, it isn't what I want, but sometimes it is the best you can do. Oh, I can't accept that. When you have an entire political party that won't even look at it, You see, if you tell me about January 6th, isn't that how Republicans are acting on January 6th? No, 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 no. Many Republicans will tell you what happened on January 6th was terrible. That was the riot at the Capitol. Now, it wasn't the same as September 11th as some damn fools said out there. And if you think January 6th was worse than September 11th, the ignorance is so great, I don't don't know how we're ever going to talk to each other. Hell, I don't even know how you drive a car. But you've got a multiplicity of Republicans disgusted by what they saw. 
They just didn't think it was an insurrection. And then they know that Nancy Pelosi engaged in this way, isn't interested in finding out what happened. We already have reports that there was no uh, coordination heading into this. We have videos of people being invited into the Capitol, including the, the, the shaman dude, invited in, told that he could stay. So, so how is he breaking and entering or doing anything else? You have the questions about why they weren't stopped right there before they got into the Capitol. I don't disagree with this, and I don't even disagree that it was scary. I wholeheartedly agree that it was probably scary for a lot of people. It was scary for the business owners in Minneapolis when their businesses got destroyed and for the people living in the area of the Chaz Chop in Seattle and living in the hellscape of the Antifa violence that is Portland. A lot of places are scary. It isn't more scary because it's the capital, and it wasn't an attack and assault on democracy. I would say that's everything that has happened in Minneapolis and Seattle and Portland and Indianapolis. And so, of course, September 11th was far worse. I mean, we have to rank these things. Can you imagine? But we don't have a party that's interested in finding out facts. We have a party that's interested in further putting Donald Trump on trial. It's been two impeachments. Just get over it. He's just not that into you. But you're totally obsessed with him. You are Glenn Close, Boyle the Bunny, obsessed with him. And they're doing it again. Believing if they can put it on Trump and say Trump enough times, you will forget their incompetence. But now I've got Anthony Blinken just flat out lying. Flat out lying about the situation, about the ramp up, and about the power of the President of the United States in that situation. So yeah, this is the best you can do. And that's why it's important. That's why it mattered. I guess you could argue we didn't need the whole thing. You could argue, yeah, whatever. We know what happened. But if you don't try, you don't know. You see, the January 6th Commission is clearly about trying to engage in partisan politics. I don't know the political party of the 13 U.S. service members who were murdered or the Americans that were left behind. And I think they deserve more. I know they deserve more than the radical partisanship and the lies of Antony Blinken and what looks like the entirety of the Democratic Party. I'm Tony Katz. AOC is taking it on the chin. It's fantastic. She she did not understand, quite obviously, that if you wear a couture dress that is designed for you, right? She didn't buy it. She was given it or to use for that uh, event. The event is the Met Gala, Metropolitan Museum of Art in, in New York. Big high society event. $30,000 a ticket. She didn't pay for the ticket. Somebody else paid for the ticket. It turns out when you're an elected official, you get to go. So she wears a couture-fitted dress that reads, eat, not eat, I'm sorry, tax the rich. That is, it wasn't eat the rich, it was tax the rich. Same thing. White dress, red letters, tax the rich. And she wears this to an event where people spend at least $30,000 each to be a part of it. And she doesn't understand that she is the problem. It's, it's just so stunning. It is 
all over your social media feeds. Uh, Casio Cortez in this dress, in the tax the rich dress, and she's she's talking. Oh, look! I had a, I had an immigrant designer. So proud to wear this, and we're so bringing this message. The designer's from Canada, from what I know. <laughs> it's still an immigrant. Yeah, yeah, but not as not as people see it. I agree. And she's wearing this dress amongst the people who are the rich. She's hobnobbing with them. It, as people have said, this is Hunger Games, man. This is Capital City. Where these people live and breathe. You keep telling people that you care about them. You keep telling people you, you're for the working class. Yet look who you're hobnobbing with. Look at what you're doing. Oh, I didn't spend the money. You showed up at the event. You condone the uh the 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 attitude the atmosphere as i was saying you didn't stand outside with a sign that says if all of you donated thirty thousand dollars we'd have clean drinking water in flint michigan say what you will about Corey bush she sleeps on the street to help people regarding eviction moratoriums and you are showing up at the met gala holy mackerel and she's trying she is trying her very, very best to, to spin this. Trying her very best to make it seem like she's, she's fighting the good fight. Uh, backfired. Huge. It was a good looking dress, but that's... Uh... If it was just the dress, people would have said, I can't believe she's there. She had the audacity to write Tax the Rich on it. Oh, yeah, it was a very poor... It, it, she didn't recognize the irony. I get it. Well, it's not, it's not just the irony. The irony is not just that she was going about being amongst the rich and saying tax the rich like she was delivering some strong message. She's laughing at all the people who buy into her socialist, Democrat, nonsense garbage. These people are in for the fight, and they thought Ocasio-Cortez was a fighter. If she shows up at the cover of Vogue, well, that's just using her power. She went to the event to hobnob. She sees herself in that class. Does anybody question the amount of millions she's going to make when she's out of Congress? Book deals, production deals, clothing lines, everything. Never mind the speeches. She's going to make millions of dollars. You know how great America is that somebody who was a bartender can become a member of Congress and then a multimillionaire? God bless the country. And she took all those people who supported her and she just, she urinated on all of them. That's what she did. That's what she did. But she sure knows how to play tough about infrastructure. We're going to get into that conversation with Brad Palumbo from the Foundation of Economic Education. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. Everybody knows that the dice are low. Let me add a little something to my conversation about Anthony Blinken testifying. It's interesting that Senator Menendez, we're talking about Bob Menendez, Democrat, New Jersey. Very unhappy that the defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, will not appear and testify in the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And so, so you, you've got that story from Luke, Lucas Tomlinson over at Fox News. And then James Rosen, the guy that Obama used to spy on. James Rosen says that Menendez is threatening subpoena power as chairman 
of one of the committees to compel testimony by Secretary Austin because he refused to appear. Uh, Menendez is the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Well, 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 well. Allow me to be thrilled that maybe there is more than just one party that wants answers to questions about Afghanistan. And I'm not a Bob Menendez fan. That guy should have been taken out of the Senate for his trips on a plane to certain islands with certain girls, possibly underage with a certain doctor. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, there was, that was a big deal. I can't believe he was able to stay. But he's saying that the withdrawal was, quote, clearly and fatally flawed and, quote, there has to be accountability. Um, I will always applaud the right thing. I, I'm, I'm, when we see it, guys, we do that. We applaud the, the, the right thing. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on this and see if anything uh, comes of it. In the meantime, I wanted to keep up with this infrastructure conversation because you now have Democrats saying, well, in order to pay for the $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill, we're going to have to raise taxes. Oh, we absolutely have to raise taxes. That's We have to raise the corporate tax rate to 26.5%. But we'll lower it to 18% for small businesses earning less than 400000 and everybody else pays 21%. And then we're going to increase the top income tax rate to 396 from 37%. A 3% surcharge on individual uh, income above, I think, above $5 million. I thought they told us this was paid for. Or did they mean the $1.2 trillion, which is also a nonsense conversation. Because the Democrats, Bernie Sanders and the dress-wearing Ocasio-Cortez, Hunger Games Ocasio-Cortez, they're willing to scuttle the bipartisan deal, the $1.2 trillion, because they want this $3.5 trillion. They want this payoff. They want this, this grab bag of dollars and goodies. This is what they want so i had the chance yesterday and i have this video coming out you'll catch it this week uh, on my facebook page tony katz radio uh, a video that i put together with americans for prosperity full disclosure i do work with americans for prosperity americansforprosperity.org and so i had this conversation with brad palumbo of a group called fee uh, the foundation for economic education fee.org and this is a guy who has uh, written for usa today and and a, and a series of of, of other outlets he he has a degree in economics for the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. He's been on, on Fox and Fox Business. Uh, as I said, USA Today, National Review, uh, Newsweek. He also hosts the Breaking Boundaries podcast. So you can check that out. We had this conversation about infrastructure, but I had started with this conversation about successful and failed governors in the world of COVID and this, in this article that he had written. And the article that caught my eye, even though I want to get into infrastructure, Brad, is this article about governors that are doing it right and doing it wrong. And you have it over there at, at FEE, right? Or do you just call it fee? How do you call fee, it? Yeah. Just fee. And it was uh, a story uh, about the 10 states leading the economic recovery all have one thing in common. And you took a look at who's doing well and who's doing poorly. And you found what? Yeah, so they have one thing in common, which is 
Uh, nine out of ten of them have Republican governors. In the ten worst states, nine out of ten of them have Democratic governors. But it's not just, you know, red versus blue. It's about the policies and the two consistent differences. This is all the Labor Department unemployment rates for the different states as of July 31st. So you have states like Nebraska and Utah and New Hampshire and South Dakota. I mean, they have under 3% unemployment. That is back to how low it was before the pandemic when the economy was booming. But then you have states like New York, New Jersey, California, Hawaii that still have seven um, or high six or mid sevens in their unemployment rate. So they have double the unemployment. And the reasons for that is because the governors, red versus blue, have made different policy decisions. One, on how harsh and how long their lockdowns on the economy were, that's still having big lingering effects. And two, how long they left these ultra generous welfare unemployment benefits uh, that were expanded during the pandemic and paid many workers more than they could earn at their jobs, how long they left those in place. So that's why you see this big disparity. Now, we've seen a couple different stories on that one, right? The extended unemployment benefits, keeping people from going back to work because they're getting paid to stay at home. And anecdotally, when I talk to business owners, whether it be my favorite cigar lounge or pizzerias, whatever the case may be, they will tell you it's true. It's impossible to find people. In Oregon, they're hiring 14-year-olds. That's what they're looking for and doing anything to try and get somebody to come in and do the work that's necessary. But we've seen some states, especially in the, when it, they first started repealing uh, those, uh, Missouri, I think, is one of them. They didn't see a change in how the unemployment rate worked. So have we seen data that shows there's an absolute tie, a real connection between the incentivizing of staying home and the unemployment rates that we see in states? Yes, we have. And of course, you know, there's a million moving pieces. There's a bunch of different factors that influence unemployment rates and labor markets. So it's hard to immediately see one thing change and see all the facts. But what you can do is what they did in a new study by the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. They looked at the states that ended the benefits and they looked at the ones that kept them in place. And they found that uh, using payroll numbers, they had twice the job growth in the states that ended the er benefits early on average, against those states that, that kept them in place. So we have pretty consistent numbers on this, in addition to an absolute mountain of anecdotal evidence and also just common sense. If you can earn in some states, unemployed households can get up to $25 an hour on, the, on benefits, though they've all just lapsed now as of September 6th at long last. So a lot of this will finally be going away. But for months and months now, you could earn the equivalent of $15, $20 an hour on benefits when maybe your job only paid $14 an hour. It's a recipe for dysfunction and it's a recipe for dependency. And we really should be discouraging that, not encouraging people to be idle and live off other people's money. You know, one of the ways I've, I've described it is that we have the private sector competing against the government and which is a very difficult thing to do. And then you had President Biden engage in conversations, whispering into the camera that you should pay people more, but they're fighting against a government that's allowing people to stay home. Uh, but even to a, to a larger extent, uh, the Fosbury flop is always the, 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 anal the analogy I go to. Everybody was doing the, the, the high jump, but it wasn't until Bob Fosbury figured out that if you jump backwards, you could actually get more height. And everybody followed suit because a good idea meant it was something that you should take part in. 
So why is it, and when we talk about this, not in terms of red-blue, but in terms of policy prescription, as you're bringing it up, and I love the way you do that, how come these other governors can't bring themselves to say, you know what, that's a better policy. That's going to create better opportunity for my citizens. That's the way we got to go. Well, we did see this a little bit. So, for example, in Louisiana, they have a moderate Democratic governor, and he actually kept seeing this play out and in August ended the benefits early. So he broke with the herd and went against the grain. Uh, And so kudos to that. But unfortunately, Governor Edwards over there, he is the exception, not the rule, because the problem is there's just tremendous tribalism and herd mentality. Democrats have to think this and support this, and then Republicans have to support this and think this. And it, for for governors that went against the grain, they're being traitors, they're falling for right-wing talking points or whatever it may be. So unfortunately, I think you could have had a mountain of data in these governors' faces, and they don't really care about that. They're politicians. They only care about the poll numbers and the politics, and the Democrats really grabbed firm to this idea that despite everything we know about economics and incentives, uh, it just wasn't an issue to pay people more not to work. And that became the party mantra, and it's really hard to get politicians to go against that if that's what they think their base wants. Now let's get into the politics of this infrastructure bill, because where we stand right now, the $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill, which they want to pass via budget reconciliation, so no Republican votes are necessary, isn't necessarily an infrastructure bill. It certainly has a lot in there that they refer to as human infrastructure, which is not, as I would call it, infrastructure. And it's Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Kirsten Sinema of, of Arizona, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, saying, whoa, 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 maybe this isn't where we should be. And Joe Manchin has been very loud about the fact that $3.5 trillion, what are we going so quickly for? It's not that he won't spend it. It's that he doesn't see the need to spend it all today. As you have the story up there at fee, unlikely heroes, AOC and Bernie Sanders could sink the multi-trillion dollar spending plans. And this is because they're so angry with Joe Manchin for saying no, they may scuttle the 1.2 trillion. Explain it out. Yes. So they have right now, Democrats in Congress are trying to push through one of the biggest expansions of the welfare state in American history. They're pushing a one point two plus trillion dollar transportation infrastructure bill that has tons of stuff in it, but it's at least sort of infrastructure focused. Then they're also pushing a three point five trillion plus. All of these things are actually going to be more. But these are the low ball estimates uh, that is so-called human infrastructure, which just means anything they want. It just means Democrats partisan priorities from a creating a civilian climate core of green jobs to uh, subsidies for electric vehicles I mean there's everything under the sun in this in these monstrous behemoth packages but the uh, some of the progressives are trying to say that they won't vote for the transportation infrastructure that one trillion plus one unless they pass the super big one which doesn't necessarily have the support to pass so by being so absolutist AOC and Bernie may just actually save taxpayers from all of this spending and we won't be bankrupted at all or at least no more than usual which is still quite a lot but that would be pretty funny if the most socialist members in congress accidentally end up saving taxpayers on this one I mean, but let's just make sure everybody understands exactly how tough guy Bernie Sanders is playing he chairs the senate budget committee and what he has said is if I don't get both We're not doing either. I mean, he's literally said the words and he is instructing, it seems, or working with Representative Ocasio-Cortez to try and scuttle it coming out of the House. 
if Joe Manchin's a, 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 a no vote, which brings us to, well, wait a second, don't we actually need some money for infrastructure? As you've been looking through this and researching this, is the American infrastructure crumbling? Do we need all of this spending or do we only need some of the spending or even none at all? Yeah, so the question of whether our infrastructure is crumbling is a hard one. There are some reports that show our infrastructure is lagging. It'll get C grades. It will get poor grades. Um, but it is an, an interesting question whether that's really a federal issue uh, or whether that's uh, most of that should be funded at the state and local level. But I'll say this much. There are several hundred billion dollars of that one plus trillion one of the spending that I think personally is fairly unobjectionable. It's very traditional roads, bridges, uh, that kind of thing, interstate highways, infrastructure, infrastructure. And of all the things the federal government spends money on, that is by far the most, I think, reasonable and least controversial. The real problem is that that is only a pretty small portion of the bill. It's got every politician's pet project under the sun, uh, including a bridge in New York dedicated to Chuck Schumer and and all sorts of like little things that they have. I, I published another Isn't article... Isn't it the $200 million for the Presidio Park in San Francisco part of that? Yeah, I mean, it's it slipped into one of these bills, right? They have everything that these politicians just personally want slipped into them. They even have Bitcoin regulations and crypto regulations that are going to really hurt the industry slipped into this legislation as well, the, the, the $3.5 trillion one. So the problem is not a few hundred billion dollars for highways and bridges that would at least most of the money would go to actual infrastructure. That's not the problem here. The problem is that anything Washington does, anything Congress does, they're putting on mountains and mountains of socialist spending and corrupt politician pork that's outweighing by several multitudes the actual infrastructure spending. Now, before I let you go, and by the way, Presidio Park, the reason I bring it up is because that's Nancy Pelosi's district. And there have been members of Congress saying, oh, she deserves it. She does so much hard work for us. Of course, she could have the $200 million of not uh, their money. Uh, be before I, I let you go, you talk about some of the other things that were implemented into this bill. And then there's the whole idea that they want the $3.5 trillion passed via this budget reconciliation and not engage debate. So they don't want to have a conversation with Republicans about it. And then they lie to Americans about what's in it. it. It goes back to that conversation about the governor's good policy and bad policy. There can't be a good policy that comes. Tell me if you agree or disagree with this leading question. But there can't be a good policy that comes from, start, from a start that's about deception of the American people. Yeah, I think it is a problem. I don't think it's necessarily a problem that they're using reconciliation. That That's used for all sorts of things, including the Trump tax cuts, which I supported. But it's a problem that they're calling this infrastructure and misleading the public when this is not about infrastructure. This is about expanding the welfare state and massively ramping up the power and spending of the federal government, including, just revealed today, multiple trillions in tax hikes that they're, they're planning to pay for this massive thing. And that's what this is about. And if Democrats really think that the American people want trillions more in welfare spending and multi-trillion tax increases, they should at least call it what it is, not make up bizarre terms like human infrastructure to try to claim that it's something that it's not. Brad Palumbo, the foundation for economic, was it economic education? I, can't, I don't know why I can't say fee 
Just say fee. I could have said fee.org and been out of it. But no, I decided to do it. The Foundation for Economic Education, Brad Palumbo. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Thanks so much. So we taking California recall election bets, producer Ari? Uh, I'll do one. Yeah, sure. So the question is, will Gavin Newsom be recalled? It's happening today. It's happening right now. Will he be recalled? Will 50% plus one of the population of California vote to recall him? Yes or no, producer Ari? I grew up in Wisconsin when Walker got recalled and he won. So I'm going to stick with Newsom stays in office. Yeah, I'm going to, just for the sake of drama, go the other way and say that the polling that is showing him just ahead of this is going to be wrong and that people are disgusted. And they're going to be like, it can't be worse. What the hell? That's my. That's the way I'm going. I, honestly, it's 50-50. It's jump ball, people. What are we betting? Um, milkshakes. Ooh, I like it. Milkshakes. Or, or, or maybe one of those blizzard things. Or it, McFlurry. It's the same thing. Well, it's not the same thing. Ah, uh, Tony. It's it's like you've never been out in cultured society before. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Everything at TonyKatz.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.